Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the On the Pony Express podcast. I am Billy Embody. Thank you for listening. We've got a lot to get to. This is my first podcast back since my honeymoon. If you ever get the chance to go to Spain, do it. We had an incredible time. Stopped in Bordeaux, France to see some of my new family. A beautiful, beautiful place. Just had a blast. We'll uh, I'll put together the trip recap for our, our subscribers on the board, do a little message board post, get a little last-minute off-season uh, conversation around that and travel before fall camp picks up because it's right around the corner. SMU, colleges around the country are gearing up for fall camp. We're going to have a lot to get to on the podcast over the next two weeks leading up to fall camp. If you're listening to this, we are exactly two weeks away from the start of fall camp for SMU. August 4th, we're going to have numerous media availabilities, numerous practices we can go and watch. We'll have you guys covered on theponyexpress.com with full coverage of the Mustangs gearing up for the first season under Rhett Lashley. Uh, but, you know, there's been a lot that's happened over uh, my time away from the pod, uh, my time away from the site. Uh, realignments happened. SMU also landed two more commitments. And we're going to get to that on this week's edition. Before next week, we're going to start doing a series of mini pods, previewing each position group every day during the week, especially for SMU. So quarterback all the way through to safety. Uh, we will have those guys, have those for you guys dropping just about every day. I'm excited about that. We're going to do like little position snapshots on the board, break down the depth chart, share my overall thoughts, um, and we'll have a podcast to accompany them. So it should be fun. But let's jump into, I think, the the big story of the last month or so since I left the country, and that is realignment and what it means for SMU. And we posted our thoughts on realignment uh, from some conversations I've had with people around SMU, some industry folk, uh, about kind of where maybe SMU stands, what is the best course uh, for SMU as far as what what would benefit them, why they fit in certain conferences, um, and just kind of overall where they're at. So let's kind of jump in. I don't want to spoil everything for our subscribers. So if you want the full article, it's a big, long read on theponyexpress.com, seven-day free trial. Uh, we'll get you that as well as recruiting updates. We also have exclusive interviews with SMU assistants that we're rolling out uh, now. Uh, so be sure to check those out. A lot of good stuff from the SMU assistants who have taken time to talk with me, uh, as their summers wind down and, and fall camp gets around the corner. So where things stand with SMU right now, from what I'm told, there's nothing imminent. There's nothing that is close to SMU joining one of these leagues, um, or a major move for SMU being made. What I can tell you is what we've reported, and it's kind of funny, you go back through Twitter and it just shows, one, that I'm, I'm getting older, um, but you go back all the way to 2016 uh, and probably before, but that was the one that I really noticed all the way back to SMU Big 12 discussions, the presentations in Dallas that we covered back in the scout days. Our uh, buddy Patrick Angle, who now actually works for the Notre Dame on three site, uh, was, was there for all of that as SMU came in, as Houston, as Memphis, um, Air Force, all of these programs that pitched themselves to the Big 12, we were there for it. And it just shows how this stuff has continued throughout time. 
And as much as they try to keep a lot of this behind closed doors, there's always a lot of speculation that is certainly out there in the public. So UCLA, USC are going to the Big Ten, which first of all, congratulations on them for getting the bag, so to speak. But what a weird fit of it all. You know, now we go from the the Pac-12 after dark for USC and UCLA to now uh, Red Eyes to play Rutgers and and Maryland. And I know they're not going to take Red Eyes and get off a plane and, uh, you know, go play. But uh, it is just pretty wild to think about the the entire state of the Big Ten now with those two in the fold. We know BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, UCF will join the Big 12. We know Oklahoma and Texas will join the SEC. Where does everybody else fit into this? Now it really is kind of, I would say, a scramble mode for the pack. Uh, that that much we know. They were left in the cold, just like Oklahoma and Texas left the, uh, left the Big 12 in the cold. And, you know, everybody wants to sit there and say, well, now so-and-so is talking to everybody. Here's the thing, guys, and we've reported on this throughout all the, the scout to 24-7 to on three days. SMU has always kept an open line of communication with the three conferences that are, let's just say, realistic for SMU to join. And that's the Pac-12, the Big 12, and the ACC. They've done that. They've done that for years. Um, I, I couldn't find it, and I was really Twitter searching trying to find it. I might not have even tweeted this story. But SMU, in conversations with the Pac-12, that's happened for a long time now. You know, that, that's been going on for years. The Big 12, that one makes a ton of sense. Local, obviously the regional ties. Can SMU get in? We'll see. I mean, you, you, you. It's kind of funny how all of the, how the move of USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten changes kind of the conversation. It's no longer okay. Well, when Oklahoma and Texas officially leave, they're going to need to add two more. The logical ones seem to be SMU, Memphis, Boise State. Those are the ones that got the most conversation, and those are still the ones that I I think are in play. But now that the pack has been raided, you now have the chance for the Big 12 to talk to an Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah about, hey, come a little bit east and let's let's try to get this done, solidify the conference, make it kind of one of those mega conferences um, and, and, you know, fit it in together that way. That could happen. I do know this and we we checked it out with sources, but also if you've been following a lot of the reporting from the guys that really are are on their game when it comes to this stuff, it's the the partnerships are not going to work. There there isn't money in television for those scheduling partnerships. There is money in one off games, but marquee ones like that ha- that happened already. You look at Oregon playing Ohio State. You look at Texas playing Alabama, you look at, you know, LSU playing Florida State. Those are big money games in neutral sites that have been going on for years. Those are the ones that have the money. Those drive TV. But having a partnership where you're going to see Big 12 and PAC play each other, uh, let's just say two weekends out of their non-conference schedule and fill up a loaded TV schedule already, it's just it. the money is not there. There's not enough actual TV to go around to make those work and to make it feasible for neutral site, to make it feasible for these networks to make money 
which then gives the school a big payout. And, you know, you, you saw the Big 12 and the PAC since, you know, all this has happened. They said we're not merging. And I don't know if that was ever on the table, barring some stabbing in the back. I mean, that would be 20-some schools in a conference. Maybe, maybe it could have worked, but there would have been high-ranking officials in both leagues out of jobs. There's networks. It just doesn't make sense as far as happening. What's going to be interesting is if the Big 12 can raid the Pac-12 and get some of these schools in the boat. I'm not so sure that can happen. I'm interested to see what the Pac does, if they're going to be on the offensive. I know the Big 12 said they're on the offensive. Um, you know, that is, that is a, a really interesting situation. Who can kind of be on the offensive and land those schools first, and what does it look like? If you're the Pac, you could get into the central time zone with an SMU-TCU, and you can, you can really ha- kind of help yourself, you know, realistically. You know, you could even, you, you could try for Baylor, Houston, SMU, TCU, and really be in Texas. That's the interesting thing that's going to, you know, play out is what schools make sense from a TV network standpoint so that the TV networks say, those are the schools, let's get this thing done, and it's going to help your bottom line and your payouts per school. And with the PAC and the Big 12, that's really hard to say. You know, I don't think SMU helps in that regard with the PAC 12, which is, or excuse me, with the Big 12, to be clear, with the Big 12, because you've seen them go out of, go out of the region to try and, you know, those have been the rumored ones, to try and get Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah. That seems to be where this is headed. If you're the ACC, and this is the one that could be interesting, does the ACC go and try to get to the cent- the central time zone? They don't have that right now. Do they go get an SMU-TCU? Which I think, if you're the ACC and you can add SMU-TCU, I think out of all the fits, and I'm I'm trying to look at this, you know, without any sort of lens on it, but realistically, without having to really poach certain schools that, you know, just might not make sense but you're just trying to grow and you're trying to stay alive which the ACC is the most stable out outside of the Big Ten and the SEC SMU and TCU they fit academically with a lot of the schools in the league they get you into the central time zone in a huge TV market they're a built-in rivalry Uh, they they have enjoyed on TCU's level a good bit of success SMU is coming back and you can project what SMU could be in a power five that, that makes the most sense to me. Now, there will be lawyers. Does that open up the grant of rights? Most people say no. The grant of rights is key for the ACC because in, I think, 2036, it's up. But if a team leaves the ACC, they sacrifice any money as far as what they could earn from being on TV. And I, and I think I read an article and and I'm I'm pretty sure this is right that if they that they're very limited in terms of what they can do in terms of playing on TV. So that's kind of an interesting thing. It's not necessarily the TV rights deal. That thing can be torn up at any time and the confer- the conference and the TV network can work out something else and there are clauses and all those things happen. That doesn't keep them from leaving the league. 
money in terms of being taking what the TV network gives you is a part of the grant of rights, trying to whittle this down and make it somewhat easy. So if the grant of rights is 2036, that means the league owns those teams until 2036. I mean, really, unless a team wants to pay in the hundreds of millions of dollars to leave and they leave money on the table. From my understanding, they can't earn new money until 2036 in a different league because of the grant of rights. So that's the thing with the ACC. They're very stable in that regard. They can add, from what I understand, and be fine and not lose stability. The grant of rights wouldn't change. And that means you you could add two more teams, so to speak, and be fine, solidify yourself, and be in a better spot. Because maybe you add a different time zone. Maybe you add another quality team or two. So for both the ACC and the Pac-12, I think getting into the central time zone is a really good idea. And for the Pac-12, I mean, just getting two teams in the central time zone, it doesn't matter where they're from at this point, but they need them. And they need them badly for the next round of TV negotiations, um, and which are up uh, after 2023. And they need to be able to solidify the number of teams in their league. Oregon and Washington, of course, eyes are on them. What are they going to do? I think they're they're a really difficult. They're two really difficult teams to just pull out of the conference and make them go across the country. You know that is something that's going to be very interesting. What is Oregon and and Washington going to do? But I think with where things stand right now, to kind of wrap this up as best I can, my random rambling here is I, I think we're going to be in wait-and-see mode for the pack, especially. Big 12 is going to be on the offensive, hoping to get agreements done so that when their TV deal comes up in 2024, they know who's coming on board, and they can use that in negotiations. For the pack, it's a little bit more survival right now. It, it's just, it, it changes by the second, basically, is, is one source's great way to put it. It really does. One rumor, San Diego State, SMU to the pack 12 could be already dead. People are still talking about it. Could be dead in the water. SMU could still be coming, or San Diego State could be on the table. But it can change. It can be, you know, just dead in a minute. And they and SMU could be looking elsewhere. San Diego State could be staying put. SMU could be working another avenue to bring somebody else with them, make them more attractive. What I will say about SMU is they're more on the offensive. We've seen the mayor take to uh, the Dallas Morning News to stump for SMU to join a power conference. We've seen Rick Hart kind of tout what SMU has done and and certainly point to some of the things that make SMU attractive. We've seen SMU social media accounts do that. But the big thing is, is SMU does have key consultants working for the school and have had them on board for numerous, numerous months now trying to position them as the team to take. And if if you're seeing it, you're seeing SMU talked about more than it's ever been talked about in realignment. And that's a fact. I mean, we really haven't even heard anything about Memphis. But I'll tell you this. Things are quiet. Maybe teams in schools uh, or schools in leagues 
and comp and uh, TV networks are working on this. There's also a chance that everybody's in kind of wait and see mode or working the back channels. And that's usually how this stuff goes. We only hear about how the back channeling has gone on once the deal's done. Once OU Texas was was in the SEC, you found out that they were working it behind closed doors with the league, a few select presidents, except Texas A&M, of course, and made it happen. Same thing with USC and UCLA. So that's where SMU's positioning, and I, and I think if SMU can get it done and get into a major conference, one huge boost, obviously, for so many reasons, and there are so many reasons why SMU makes sense, and we've talked about them at length. But if they can manage this uh, journey and it ends with a major conference bid, you're going to have to give everybody on the side of SMU from consultants to administration credit for, in this moment, pushing, pushing, and pushing and making SMU the attractive choice. Will it pay off? We'll just have to see. Right now, does seem fairly quiet. I don't think anything's imminent or going to happen before the season. Of course, that can change overnight. Have to put that out there as well. But right now, from what I'm told, it's just a lot of wait and see, a lot of conversations. It's like dating. It really is. It's It just seems like you're tr- always trying to get to know. And then eventually, you know, you're going to get told yes. Yeah, you can come You can come on a date with us or you can whatever. It, it just, it's so weird how these conversations go. And they've been happening for years and years. So I think SMU is doing everything they can. I think this is, as, as we, once the OU and Texas left for the SEC, we kind of pointed towards this moment. Like this window was the time. We talked about the TV network deals coming up. We talked about what could be next. We didn't anticipate USC and UCLA leaving for the Big Ten, but this was always the moment. This is always the window, and SMU has a chance to make a statement this year on the football field and say, hey, we do belong, especially before the teams leave the AAC that happens maybe it helps enough and somebody says you know what it's time they they earned it they did what they said they were going to do they invested in facilities they're in a huge metroplex they're recruiting they've invested um great academics whatever it it just this is the moment and we'll we'll see if SME passes the test it's going to be very interesting but uh yeah what a what a time uh to uh to be away out of the country uh, for that to happen so uh, hope you guys enjoyed the conversation on the board. Uh, I'm sure it was a blast and, and kind of following it all, but uh, I'm glad I uh, uh, was kind of away for it, quite honestly, because I didn't have a ton of answers and not many people did. But by the time I got back, I feel like we've got a good grip on where things stand right now. Moving on to uh, what, ha- what else happened while I was away. Uh, SMU landed two commitments on football, and uh, both of them going to play tight end at SMU. Uh, and I, and I, I think both are pretty solid commits uh, quite honestly one trip Reardon uh, ends up being one of the one of the top ranked uh, commitments in the class uh, with his pledge he's somebody that I went and saw uh, out in um, out in the spring for seven on seven he's kind of your prototypical tight end he's got the size that you uh, that you want at the tight end position he's got a big frame I think he's somebody that kind of reminds me of a better athlete, but has uh, the frame like shorter than Tommy McIntyre, if that makes sense. 
I, I just think he is somebody that's going to bring a little bit of an edge as a blocker. Um, he played seven on seven. He's very comfortable, at least in the passing game. But, um, you know, at him, you got a guy that's 6'5", 243 already. So that is a big body, somebody that can add weight and easily carry 260 pounds in a college weight room. And if you're looking at the tight end class with with Trip Reardon and Lonnie Johnson now, you've got guys that complement each other well. I think the tight end position is one that I think there, maybe the coaches have questions on. You, you got a guy in RJ Maryland in the last class who they're thrilled with. He looks like he could be a stud if all things come together for him. But then you have a lot of questions. And so maybe after the spring, they said, you know what? We need to address this position. Let's go ahead and do it with two guys in the high school ranks uh, in Trip Reardon and Lonnie Johnson. So Trip, I think, moves fairly well for his size. I don't, he doesn't scream, you know, split out Grant Calcaterra type uh, just yet to me. Um, I'll have to see him in the fall. He plays for Frisco Wakeland right up the road. He's friends with Jackson Lavender, uh, friends with Brandon Maiazzano, uh, Keldrick Luster. Uh, he really just seemed amped uh, about joining this program in the direction that this is headed. Um, we had our conversation on the board with him, and he just was – he worked out. He really earned the right to commit. The coaches brought him in for a camp, private camp, had him work out, liked what he saw – or liked what they saw, and went ahead and pressed for his commitment. So uh, he had offers, uh, had numerous offers from around the country. Uh, didn't get the sense that a ton of schools were really, really gunning for him from the Power 5 ranks, but he had some quality offers to his name. I know Memphis was after him. Florida State was talking to him. Colorado as well. Uh, but SMU keeps him home. Uh, it's kind of funny how things work out. I would go and watch him play 7-on-7 seven seven, uh, this spring, and you know we interviewed him. We had a story on the site, but didn't really think too much of it. And then fast forward and he camps, earns the right to commit, uh, and sure enough, he's a Mustang. So looking forward to seeing Trip Reardon in action this fall. But also, Lonnie Johnson, I think, is intriguing. And he's the other one that happened uh, while I was away, kind of right around the same time. Uh, he actually committed on the day I left. Uh, Fort Worth, Timber Creek, 6'3", 205. He's kind of in the mold of RJ Maryland. Definitely more of a pass catcher at the tight end position. I think, again, he could bulk up. Um, and carry uh, 225 comfortably, at least from what I see. Uh, this is somebody, again, that they just offered uh, over the course of the summer, liked what they saw, and got him on board. Uh, he's got some big offers to his name. TCU offered, Oklahoma State offered, um, and he's also got a lot of offers from in-state, North Texas, Houston, uh, Sam Houston, programs like that, um, as well as a Tulsa offer. But uh, Lonnie Johnson jumps on board. Uh, he took a few visits in the spring, visited SMU a couple times, and, and went ahead and committed. So I think he's somebody with some upside. I'm interested to see. He's kind of a tweener, you know, big wide out right now. That's always kind of tough sometimes. Um, but if he puts on the weight, continues to maintain, you know, a good bit of speed, I think he could be somebody that, you know, as R.J. Maryland develops, he could kind of come off, come on in for him, and you can kind of use him the same way. Um, so this tight end room, completely remade. You know, Cam Allen's on campus. Um, of course, Nolan Matthews Harris uh, is there. Uh, ben Redding, the veteran, is still around. So this is a this is an interesting room now uh, that you've got on campus uh, and and some options. You know, especially once 2023 rolls around. Uh, you know, Ben Redding will be gone. He'll be um, you know graduated by then. This is his final year. Uh, but as far as the tight end room right now and and kind of you know where they have it headed with. The two commits now, you've definitely solidified this room. Um, and then Simon Gonzalez is in there as well. So a lot of guys who haven't shown a lot, 
and they go out and they land two tight ends that they offered. They they evaled this summer, um, and now uh, you've got a ton of depth coming down the pipeline uh, by the time 2023 rolls around. So those were the two commitments that jumped on board while I was gone. Right now, SMU sits in the on three consensus team recruiting rankings as a number two AAC class behind Cincinnati. Uh, they jumped UCF. They got them uh, just by a little bit uh, as far as average commit ranking and their score. Um, so 15 commits on board for SMU. And right now, I think they're just kind of gunning for Chris Parson, the four-star quarterback who opened things up, decommitted from Florida State. I think they'd like to take a running back. But as of now, it seems like they're going to play the patient game, see if somebody that's a best available pops up, and then go from there. So that's kind of the lay of the land uh, on the recruiting front. And, of course, we're going to talk a ton about the team over the next two weeks and beyond as the season gets closer and closer. So with that, going to shut down this edition of the podcast. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, keep subscribing, keep spreading the word. And also, next time we talk on the pod, we'll have a big announcement close to finalizing a cool event uh, to kick off the season. So looking forward to sharing that with you guys. Um, so stay tuned on the site and on the pod for that. So with that, hope you guys have a great weekend and we will catch you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.